Hey, using the right mic there, EJ? You record with your phone. <laughs> check, 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 check. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's a lot of nuts. podcast if i get a nosebleed in the middle of this <laughs> forgive me i've been bleeding a lot lately like an perverted anime sensei i've been bleeding a lot but there's been a, a conspicuous lack of boobies in my life outside of my own so <laughs> boobies, boobies. <laughs> boobs. ej olson nick durheim what is uh, uh anyway <laughs> chris gilly for her i'm not here i don't <laughs> i don't <laughs> what can you imagine fuck? like being a podcast host for a living, and there, I feel like there's always this awkward moment where the host has to turn on host brain, and like everyone who's been like sitting there talking to them for an hour previous to recording is like, yep. Greg Miller turns his fucking personality on, and everyone's just like, oh, no. <laughs> so that's how I feel. Like I, I try to just get through it. So here we are. That's just how I feel around you most of the time, EJ. So. <laughs> this is the worst cold open that I've been a part of on this show. Well, we're here to react to, not react, to just chat about Last of Us episode. Was that six? Episode six? Yes. But I figured maybe we just spend, we didn't need to be a two-hour podcast, but maybe we spend a couple minutes chatting about what's been happening this week. You know, I have a little something I want to chat with Nick about. Chris, you've been playing a lot of Hades, but you said maybe you didn't want to dive into it this week, so. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the time. I just keep feeling like, okay, like when I get the credit roll, then I'll feel like, great, I got a sense of this. But then there's just been like m- more stuff that I, I felt like was going to be box checky that absolutely has not been, that's been totally pertinent to like continuance of story and development of characters. And so now I'm like, well, shit, maybe I need to wait until I finish this really specific, um, this really specific thing on the faded list of minor prophecies before before I really take a bite. But yeah, I'm still playing this game fucking nonstop. I go to bed, I wake up, I do my work on Monday, Wednesday, you know, I'll teach till three o'clock. I fucking play Hades until like two 30 and then I leave and then I come home and I finish my run of Hades that I didn't finish before I left. And then I watch some shows with Tiffany. I go to bed, I get up and I do it again all day, every day, just Hades. <laughs> Dude, it's perfect for the switch. Literally the definition of pick up and play. Oh my God. Yeah. There was one, like we went to see Ant-Man on Friday and I was like, I had just gotten to, geez, I think like Theseus and Asterius, like the, the, the world bosses at the end of Elysium, which is the third of the four areas in the game. And I was like, you're driving to the theater. Cause I got to finish this run and just like undocked it. <laughs> Didn't get to the end of it. Like, I think I got within the last like couple rooms and sticks and had to like, just like put it in lock mode and like stick it under the seat in Tiffany's SUV. And then I had to drive home cause she drove the first leg and like got home, slam it into the dock and just like finished the run. I mean, it's just like, I can't put it down. I can't put it down, but Metroid prime is coming out tomorrow. The physical version. You're going to so have to, I will put it down. <laughs> it will be put down for several days. What am I supposed to do? My, my game isn't showing up for a month. I said before we recorded that maybe I can get lucky. Maybe Best Buy will have some tomorrow. But like, what if they don't? I I just have to wait. I mean, it's sold out everywhere online. It's been in and out of stock on GameStop. I keep getting like my, my delivery date changed via Amazon. 
And every time you get the email, you think like, oh, it's got to show up on release day. They got it figured out. And it's like, no, second week of March. Sick. Yeah, I ordered mine through Target. So that's always kind of a crapshoot. I've had games show up early, like before release date and games show up a week late. So uh, I'm hoping that it shows up by tomorrow. You know what always shows up on time? Best Buy in-store pickup always shows up on time. See, I'm a pretty big proponent of Best Buy. Uh, uh, I'm curbside now. I'm curbside post-pandemic. That's been a revelation. I don't have to talk to anyone. They just bring it to me and put it in my trunk. But I didn't have that choice. When I went to pre-order, it was only available on Amazon. And remember when like I ordered it and the, the release date was like the 13th or something? Yeah. Yeah, they fucked up. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even that excited to play it. I just am excited to finally do the thing that will give me the opportunity to have the discourse with you guys. That's part of the culture, man. The culture. Yeah, Those are the man. boys back home. <laughs> My boys back home are playing Dragon Ball Infinite World. They ain't, play, they ain't ever played Metroid Prime. Come on. Yeah, they were living a different life. Uh, the only reason I went with Target was because I got a sick deal on it because they had to buy one, get one half off. And usually they do not let you do first party Nintendo, but whether by accident or by on purpose, they had that available. So I pre-ordered Pikmin and Zelda to get that half off. And then I did the same with uh, Metroid and I bought a copy of Nier because I wanted to have that physical. Ooh, big So spender. all in all, I got 25% off and then another 5% with the Target red card. So it was like 30%. Talk about value. That game's a 95 on Open Critic right now. Yeah, buddy. Okay, we're not okay. We're not going to talk about the podcast league yet. What are the odds anything scores better than that this year, though? So fucking low. It may be the highest scoring game of the year. Like maybe Tears of the Kingdom if they knock it out of the park. But we no. expressed just just or two Resident weeks Evil, ago, like yeah, Resident Evil Four. But we expressed just two weeks ago our not skepticism, but growing wonder about what is this game, Tears of the Kingdom, and just taking a wildly different marketing approach to the first you know, the previous entry, I guess. Yeah. Which is odd to say the least from a company that does odd shit, like on the regular for a living. I cannot imagine that tears of the kingdom possibly scores better than breath of the wild. It's impossible. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. Honestly, yeah. last year, what was the highest scoring game? Elden ring at 95. Yeah. Wow. Like, wow. Metroid is going to be the highest scoring game this year. And you got mad lucky. Cause that was the, uh, the unreleased games tab. That was a fight. That was clutch. That was a clutch pickup, but it was rumored so hard last year. I was like, well, I'll roll the dice again this it's year. It's rumored every year. I'm still waiting on trilogy. I've done worse for less. I mean, think of me picking hollow Knight, silk song in 2021. You were a desperate man. Then if that comes out this year, that could challenge, that could be a co 95 or even a 96. Like that's, I mean, 95 is so much, dude. It's such it's a high score. A <laughs> it's so stupid. The first game is so unimpeachably good. That's a score that gets lowered by getting a nine out of 10. Like, it's so stupid. <laughs> Hollow Knight's not even on the top 50 on Open Critic. Am I missing it right now? No, because it has no release date. <laughs> no, 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 I'm talking no, no, about no, the, the first, first one. one. The first one's like an 89 or a 90. Okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nick is right. Getting a 9 out of 10 brings these kind of games down. It's so hard to score above a 90. Nines are so rare. Yeah, Hollow Knight on Metacritic, for example, I mean, different sort of algorithm, but 90 on Switch, 87 on PC. So just to give you sort of some insight. Man, that's wild. I haven't been playing really anything else since last time we talked about what we've been playing, except I told Chris, I told you I was going to play Hades because you were diving into it, but I kind of got sidetracked by another roguelike because it has multiplayer 
and that is Risk of Rain 2. And I never thought I'd see the date. Nick, I swear we we talked about this at length on this podcast years ago. Mm-hmm. I watched you play it. I watched my cousin play it. Never thought I'd be into it. Dude, Brennan and I are hooked. It's a game that has that sort of reward to it. Like you want to go fast. You want to get through these levels quickly because it's every second you spend diddling your dick around in these levels, it's everything's getting harder. It's getting crazier and more difficult. And once you get to ha 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 for the difficulty, you're like, oh, this is messed up. I'm getting one shot by these damn Lemurians. Yeah, that game's that game rules. The loop is so satisfying. A, it's awesome because it is fully multiplayer. There is no like pretense about a fucking story. All of the story in that game you get on the load screen. You know? Yeah, and item descriptions. I mean, it's like it's like the Dark Souls of roguelikes, but it, it has like a lot of lore if you give a shit and care right. about reading into this stuff. And it's got like a cool vibe and setting. And the God, the music, the, dude, music, the music in that game so is God tier. It's just like like techno jazz techno jazz but also prog metal it's like Dude, they're guitar it's dream theater yes, yes it's, it's crazy it's crazy what it's so good what you, so good. you're just saying words in random orders this can't be real so we we picked it because we're looking for games that we can platinum together right this is the perfect kind of game for me where like the platinum informs the meaning of my experience which sounds kind of lame but i'm like in a game that it's infinitely replayable Okay, you beat it in an hour, then what? You try the next difficulty? Like, how far can you go through that loop? But when I'm grinding 50 trophies that have these, like, specific challenges, sort of, that add to the game experience, and now you're trying to do certain things in your runs to... It, it just, like, it changes every run what you're doing. All the different characters are just so unique and distinct and interesting to utilize and knowing what to be going, like, what to go for as far as items especially in a multiplayer setting, like if you're playing, like if you're rolling three or four deep and you're like, okay, I'm playing engineer. So if anybody finds bustling fungus, I'm going to want that because I can put down my turrets and my turrets have the same items that I do. So they can just be sitting still and have a healing circle around them. So anytime you're low on health, you just run over by the turret and then suddenly you're being healed. It's, it's so much like cool, specific item interactions. This is why we need to get you in on this because we dove into this game completely blind. It doesn't tell you anything. There's basically nope. <laughs> one little menu on the on the on the first screen that tells you some of the abilities your character does. And then you're just going balls to the wall. And I actually don't know if the difficulty increases based on how many people you have in the game. I'm sure like numbers scale. Yeah, the scaling. But like to me, the the most difficult part about co-oping, it's sort of this double-edged sword of like, get your friends in and you're gonna do more damage and like less likely that you wipe a run because you'll respawn when they teleport to the next level. But now you're balancing your builds. Brennan and I haven't gotten to the point yet where we're like, what works well with what character? Exactly. We're we're just like finding chests and upgrading and reading them and being like, oh sick, I've got I got three times fungus and two times glasses that you know up your critical chance or whatever. And we don't know yeah. what's what. And oh, Brennan has seven more items than me. Don't open those chests, you motherfucker. Share the wealth because you're. Survivability helps his survivability later on as well. Right. It's it's a really cool. I love the multiplayer aspect of it. It's got the same problem that a lot of multiplayer uh, PVE sort of games have, though, especially with the teleportation like level based system has where if you die, you're just sort of sitting there like you're not helping. You are actively 
lessening your ability to survive in the future as well because you're not getting those items and that that progression is like key to keeping up with everybody else so everyone has to like pull you up after them if you die early in a, in a level and that could be kind of challenging but honestly the support for like mods in this game is really tight once you want to get into that there's like custom level like items that people have made not so much like actual levels um, there were some like character skins that people were working on early on, but since they've done DLC and they've added a lot of characters, I don't really find that to be as intriguing or appealing, but yeah, man, I'd be down to play this game with you. A lot of the knowledge that I have is like institutional at this point. It's stuff that I've learned from the first game that a lot of the items sort of carry over, like the go huff increasing your speed, the crowbar increasing your first day, like the damage to an enemy when they're above 90% health. So if you have good burst damage characters then like the crowbar is really good for that or if you want to proc off a lot of hits then you you know there's all these different things that sort of uh, play together with uh, specific characters and their skill set skill sets and damn yeah it is it is like such a game where you just get zoned in and you're looping over and over and over and over because you started on easy and you're like you're i'm more powerful than god now so i've been playing this game for three hours and it's endless until you want to try to take on the final boss or i think they've added a different final boss like because i was playing this game when it first came out or the access so there's like a lot of my time didn't really even have a boss it was just like mm. you go to the end and you obliterate you literally kill yourself at the end of the world oh and that was like the only ending but that's just one of three or four endings now so it's just really grown and it's just like a really cool sort of experience how it's progressed dude we we did like three hour plus runs today and you know wow. like we're we're, we're kind of checking boxes right hitting these different trophies how many artifacts have you gotten have you been uh looking at guides to get anything or just sort of no guides uh, playing it raw artifacts are things that carry over between runs artifacts are basically like uh they're like skulls from halo they're modifiers to the way the game plays so there are certain artifacts like oh you only spawn elites or you no longer um buy chests like chests don't spawn they spawn from enemies that you kill so that can change the way you play like you're not like hunting for money to buy chests because they don't appear unless you kill a bunch of enemies so that can sort of change i have not found any relics or uh, artifacts yet yeah so they're they're really they're very hidden it is like cryptic as hell there's like hints about what the they're like basically cheat codes that you put in on one of the levels and you find the cheat codes in other levels as like sort of cryptic block messages in a fake shape language and then you input those cheats on one of the levels and then you unlock a challenge room in which when you defeat it you unlock the artifact that it that it contains <laughs> so <laughs> there's so many secrets and additional things and you unlock spe- special secret items that you have to like what the desert level there's like these two hidden buttons and if you have two people stand on them it opens a door and two bosses come out and you kill them and you unlock an item that can then be earned in future runs or in that run as well. It's just such a cool, cool ass game, dude. And it controls so well and it looks beautiful and it's so tight. It, it really is. And it's, it's scratching the itch that Brennan and I had to like play destiny again, destiny or borderlands. You know, it's got that kind of dude, same PVE vibe. It, so we tried borderlands three last week and we just, we, ah, you know, it's not really scratching the itch destiny. We, as much as we've loved that game, we've tried to go back and it wasn't scratching the itch. Dude, this is, this is hitting us where it counts. Brennan was like, dude, I can't wait to get home and play this game again. <laughs> so <laughs> It's cool. Dude, that's awesome. I love to hear that. It's it's so rare for me to be like, I love this game and I want you to play this game, EJ, and then for you to actually enjoy it. So I'm really basking in the glow of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, 
So do you ha- you have it on PS4, right? No, I have it on PC, and I uh, um, received it as a gift on Switch. So I have it on PC. Okay. We're playing on PS4. There's no cross-play. So you're going to have to buy the game a- again. I'll buy it for you. I don't care. I just want to play with you. I don't, I don't care. PS Plus either. <laughs> oh, God, Nick. Uh, you really want to be in for a penny, in for a pound on Risk of Rain? Uh, Why are you playing on PC? Because you're just trophy addled we're sluts for bling (laughs) that's so sad because i was like shit this sounds like a game that i might actually enjoy having never been a fan of the roguelike genre like i tried uh binding of isaac when i bought it from you ej like four years ago and was like played it for an hour and went i'm never fucking playing this again and just sort of felt like oh this genre is not for me until hades has sunk its claws all the way into my brain. Roguelite is just such a weird sort of term for a genre because it doesn't actually describe what you're doing. It just describes how your progression is sort of carried through. Like Hades is a roguelite, but it's also primarily a isometric action game. Risk of Rain is a third person shooter. Uh, Rogue Legacy is a 2D action platformer, but they also have, you know, they're also roguelikes. It's like saying open world open world doesn't describe what you're doing it's just a sort of setting it's a it's how the thing is put together yeah telling me like i'm playing a game it's 2d it's like what the fuck does that mean there's so many 2d games that doesn't tell me a single thing the the lack of like the fact that it's it's sort of like single serving so to speak in terms of like you make a run and then it's over and that like some stuff carries over like that never appealed to me Never appealed to me until oh. this particular game. Um, so now you're talking about risk rate and I'm like, oh, like this sounds like very similar in terms of some of the like uh, mechanics of like item pickups and modifiers and, and and stuff like that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I have to, maybe I have to get it. It'd be cool. It'd be cool. And, and I've said it before a million times. I apparently have never played a roguelite that I didn't like. Dead Cells, I fucking love. And Binding of Isaac, I really liked. Rogue Legacy played the shit out of that game. Like now with Risk of Rain, I feel like there's another one in there. But well, I was gonna say I bought Hades. I bought it from you. I assumed you played it at some point. No, see, this was during my collector phase, where like anytime a limited run game came out that I knew I wanted to play, like I had to get it. Oh no! And backlog it because I'm like, oh, this is gonna be uh, an eighty, hundred dollar game down the road. But I can get it for forty right now, so I gotta get it. And that always bears out with limited run games, but. You know, the only time that I enjoy Metroidvania elements is in a game like Dead Cells, where I don't feel that pressure of I'm missing something by making a decision right now. You know, in a, in a, in a roguelike, whatever progress I make on, on this path, I'm going to keep as long as I don't fuck up colossally. And I can explore that other path later. And even though the paths change, you know, the level changes every time, there are still major elements of every level that is always the same. It's located at a different spot, but I'm like, great, I, I can follow this thread and find that thing later. Whereas in a Metroidvania, I always feel like I'm missing something and I know it's like, okay, well, I can just go back to it later. But then who knows how far you're backtracking, how far you get down this one path. You know, in some games like Guacamelee, it's really bite-sized. You're never going too far before it makes you go back. But other games, it's like, you can maybe beat the game without ever going down this entire wing of this map. And that stresses me out, which is why you don't like Hollow Knight. <laughs> That's the ultimate. You could finish the game without going down hallway X game. That's so stressful. <laughs> That's so interesting though. Cause I feel exactly the same about like it, 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 it grabs a hold of me and I go, Oh, I, I can't wait until I have 
the thing, whatever it is that lets me get And in a Metroid game. Of course, I'm like, oh, OK, I need I need like the wave beam to shoot through that door or I obviously need the grapple beam. I need uh, a boost ball, whatever. But in like Hollow Knight was like, oh, I can't wait till I have like the thing I need to get through this corridor and go explore it more. And you're like, oh, man, As you can tell you go into a place. And you're like, I can't get to where I want to go, but I can see where I want to go. Yeah. And this I will place a pin on my map and I will be back here later. It's just so <laughs> intriguing that like I I zig in this direction and go, oh, I'm so excited to come back and explore this. And EJ, you zag where you're like, I know there's stuff over there and I hate that. I can't just go get to it right now. I'm like, that's the same feeling. A story based game. My only goal is to roll credits. Any other type of game. I have to hundred percent it. And I rarely do. And I always give up. And that's why I never beat games. So so for me of Metroidvania the very nature of the game prevents me from systematically going and being very meticulous in how I discover and get everything. It sounds like you just don't like backtracking is the fact of the matter as it pertains to this, this particular particular genre. But EJ, EJ, my brother in Christ, (laughs) you are in your fucking thirties. Now it's time to release these like absolutely nonsensical manic insistences i did it this year yes you can ej i'm older than you not by a lot but i am older than you it took me until (laughs) this year let it be known it took me until this year of my life to go you know what if this game is not really fucking grabbing me i am not collecting everything in this game because it is not worth my time and i'll tell you what i finished so many fucking games this year because that i did the exact same thing you did then I went, oh, I have to get everything. I'd burn myself out and go, I'm not having fun. I'm not having a good time anymore because this is just like manic. Like it's it's involuntary, but we can control it. We can fight it. We can fight it together. I was talking to Brennan about this today. Two examples. One, a game like Mario, like Mario 3D World. Running around and jumping is fun, but if the only goal is to just like run from point A to point B, I, I burn out on that really quick. But if the goal is like, all right, I have to collect every little thing and every little map. Now I have a purpose. I don't play games or complete games that I'm not having fun with. I am very quick to drop things I'm not having fun with, which is why I have so many incomplete games in my backlog is because, you know, and part of that is just only having so much motivation to play things. And whether that's because I was so burnt out on other multiplayer games for so long, or maybe it's a depression, who fucking knows. But I'm very quick to drop a game. But I like playing Pokemon and completing my living decks. I'm collecting the thing. And I love the journey. I love fighting people. I love catching Pokemon, exploring the world. But the goal is to get all of the things in the place they belong. <laughs> That's why I told Brendan about a game like Risk of Rain is like, I don't think I would. this game would have grabbed me if we weren't going for these 50 trophies. When a trophy or an achievement can actually challenge you to go out of your way and do something different. And some some of them are just like, Kill X amount of enemies, yada, yada, yada. You get it as you play. But so many of them are very specific things that now I'm going out of my way to challenge myself to do this thing and, and modify the experience to achieve this other goal. I love that. This game you beat when you have all the trophies. That's when the game is beat. Otherwise, you don't ever really beat the game. So now I have that. Yes, you that, do. Well, you just beat it when you're done playing it. Like we got to the final boss today. Went on this crazy run. There's like a, a fuck ton of phases and you have to clear, you have to exfil the map. And it just resets you. And you're like, okay, we're playing the game again. Like, yeah, we beat the game. Is that the game? No, the, the experience is as much as you want it to be. So having that carrot on the end of that stick 
oh, now we're going to get 30, 40 hours out of this game, whereas maybe we would have gotten bored with it in a couple of hours. And that's just how my fucking monkey brain works. And I don't mind it. And now I'm finding my niche of things that sort of keep me interested and invested in games. And it's, you know, I've got Brennan along with me. And hey, if it brings you joy, that's great. I just hear you say that you're, you know, dropping these games like they're hot and not finishing them because of the grind towards a platinum trophy. And I'm like, well, it kind of seems like that game didn't really grab you. Well, anyway, thanks for indulging me on that on that rant. I knew, Nick, you get a kick out of it because, like you said, it is rare that I gravitate to things that you really like. But I know better than to, like, recommend games that I don't think you're going to be into. But I don't know if I ever actually recommended Risk of Rain to you, but it's it's hard to tell with the way you sort of get manically attached to certain games. <laughs> well, yeah, that is a nice way of putting it. Let's switch over real quick before we do Last of Us. Let's let's talk about the Whammy League. Chris, as the commissioner of the Whammy League, we had talked about this, the three of us. We had joked about the Whammy League when we did our Fantasy Critic draft when it came together a few weeks later. So te- break us down on this, and you guys can tell us about the rules and how we came to this. Oh, most, most absolutely. I think it's only fitting that as the person who... Uh, kind of invented the Whammy League by being atrociously bad at Fantasy Critic in 2021 <laughs> uh, that I should be the one to uh, lead this in. And in point of fact, my uh, Whammy League name, my publisher name is uh, 2021 Chris. Throwback to me being terrible at Fantasy Critic, but not anymore. Not anymore. It's absolutely <laughs> not. I refuse to be bad at this anymore. I'm going to win this year, I swear to God. Anyway, Whammy League. Um, we thought like, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun to have a league where we specifically try to like literally flip this thing on its head and try and draft the worst possible games, the biggest shitters imaginable, anything that would be like lower than a 70, which in fantasy critic results in minus points. So basically play this golf style and go for the lowest possible score. We were like, Oh, that'd be fun. We knew we had like the podcast league with Brennan. We knew that the group chat wanted to do a league. It's like, yeah, two leagues. That's kind of a lot. Maybe, maybe a week <laughs> after that, you know, Nick drops a text to the group chat and was like, I think we should do the whammy league. Uh, and, and so we did. Um, there's a couple particulars to these rules. Cause obviously you're going for like as, as few as possible. So uh, fe- uh, features of the league, like uh, leaving an empty counter pick, uh, counter pick slot by the end of the uh, the end of the season. The computer, the website, will ascribe minus twenty points to you. But we're going for the lowest score, so that's counterintuitive. So we had to like manually come up with some of these rules. Like, okay, that's a plus twenty, <laughs> which means it's like a net plus, plus 40, forty to erase <laughs> the minus points you got from the negative counter pick, and also. EJ had made a made a point. It's like, well, we could just gamify this and just like draft a bunch of games we don't think are going to release, uh, and then you know stand pat at that, and that's a zero. Win the Whammy League. Um, so we had to build in some rules to prevent that. Uh, I think that well, we decided it's uh, m- uh, plus five points for an unreleased game at the end of the year. Is that we decided, or not enough scores? But an empty game slot is also plus twenty. Which is tough. I mean, finding a game that you think will get enough reviews to get a score and also will review poorly is a more interesting challenge in many regards than just picking the biggest AAA games, which will inevitably be, you know, pretty good, at least. Absolutely. I don't know if we need to go through like our entire rosters, but just to give you like a flavor of the kind of absolute shit that we've been drafting, things like Payday 3 
the Tales of Symphonia remastered on Switch, which is the first Whammy League game that is released and did net me a, a minus one point. I counterpicked that because I was like, That's, this is not going to be as bad as we think. But here's the thing about the Whammy League. As you'll see, there are some things on here that you think like, we joked about Hello Neighbor VR is going to be the whammy of the year. Like, it's going to be so bad. Easy whammy of the year. It's fairly likely. <laughs> this game really isn't about, like, can we actually draft the games that are going to be the worst? Because, again, you're balancing, will it get enough reviews? So you're really just trying to get things in the zero to five range and hope everybody does worse. Like, it's not really... I would be shocked if we all end up with negative points at the end of this. Yeah, that would be the goal. I don't think it'll happen. It'd be crazy because uh, we have some like, I think we all have some, uh, I would call them stretch picks. Like I took Lies of P, which That's immediately crazy. got counterpicked because I'm like, I'm sorry. They're like, oh yeah, the fucking Pinocchio Dark Souls ripoff. I'm like, yeah, this, this, this game, nothing about this game has ever, ever seemed like it had the ingredients to be successful. But then we've got maybe y'all could could speak for yourselves on this, but you know, Nick, you're you're really betting betting hard on 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 Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League to be a whammy tier game. Maybe you can speak to your thought process there because I counterpick the shit out of that. I'm like, that's like an 80. That's like an easy minus 10 for me on that counterpick, I think. Oh yeah, it just looks like dog shit, dude. It doesn't look great, but Marvel's Avengers is a 68. I mean, I think that's a pretty fair like range for what Suicide Squad is going to get. There's a state of play in two days. They just announced it. And Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is the centerpiece of the state of play. Like 15 minutes of that game, 15 minutes of that presentation is just going to be Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Don't feel like you do that for games that are probably going to be shitters. Just saying. Um, I'm sure Marvel's Avengers got plenty of marketing pushes and I'm sure it sold phenomenally well at first. And I would assume that Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League will probably be a top 10 selling game of the year. But that doesn't make it a good game. That just means yeah. it's a, based on a popular IP. Okay, here's the thing, though. Marvel's Avengers was kind of a flop. But this game is not being marketed as that sort of live... But it is that. That is what the game is. It's a multiplayer shooter. It's got different currencies. It's got different experience points for these characters that you're going to be buying costumes for. That's exactly what this game is. From what I understand about what was leaked is that the multiplayer elements are the same as the last Batman game, which was a single player game. So, but, but we don't know. We don't, it's just based on some screenshots that leaked. Crystal Dynamics also made three wildly successful Tomb Raider, well, two and a half. I don't know about the third one, but Tomb Raider wasn't a really great place. So people were excited. Oh, they're doing Avengers. They're great at doing story. They're great at doing third person action. Oh, if only we could think of a similar sort of comparative studio history to future project correlation here. You know, I mean, this is just sort of like what, where I'm operating, where it's yeah. like, yeah, people were interested in Avengers and then they showed it and everyone said, wow, this, was, this looks bad. And they're like, well, Crystal Dynamics, they, they don't make bad games. Well, you know, Rocksteady hasn't made a bad game in 20 years, but they've only made three games in 20 years. So who's to say that their fourth one isn't dog shit? Like, I'm just saying it's not like a sure thing above 70. I don't think it's going to be, you know, 60 or anything like that. But like 68, that seems pretty reasonable. Well, I mean, it's a it's a risk for a reason. Nick, you came in swinging, dick swinging, taking Lord of the Rings Gollum at number one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if that even comes oh, out this year. <laughs> that game is going to be so bad. It's not going to be bad as Hello Neighbor VR, but it's going to be 
real bad. I don't even remember what I drafted because I have dropped all my drops in the first week because <laughs> I, I did more research. You had that weird Last of Us fake game <laughs> that's not coming out. Dude, the saga with the day before. Something that was made up, I feel like, the week after you drafted it. <laughs> Literally. So the night that I drafted this game, that we did our Whammy League, it came out that, and I think I joked about it on the podcast, like the week before that, they were like, yeah, we're going to, after much internal deliberation, uh, we're gonna we're gonna release gameplay to our fans, and it was first of all, I was like, which what fans, fucking weirdos, and second of all, the game comes out in a month. Why you you, you oh you're really making a big deal about we're f- after much internal debate, the game comes out in a month. Well, anyway, the night that we drafted, the team that's doing the day before, basically came out and said after the game that day got delisted on Steam, and they they first said it was like a glitch, and then they come out and they say, well actually somebody sniped the trademark on the name the day before. And so we have to delay this and we can't release the gameplay now because lawyers and people were like, what? And then they delayed it to November. I'm trying to find a timeline of, of everything because all, all sorts of shits come out. Like obviously everyone thinks now that this is just a money laundering scheme yeah, or some like way to trick venture capitalists out of their money, which, you know, I'm totally fine with that. That's fair. Sure, yeah. but it's like if you're gonna trick a bunch of a bunch of rich dorks out of cash, hire some people who want to make something. You know, like you can both scam rich people and also do something. Not even do something, just have other people do it. That requires talent and vision. When it's easier to just be an idiot who scams other idiots and then takes that money and fucks off to Las Vegas for like a weekend because you only actually got like ten thousand dollars and that's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Other than that little bit of drama. I don't really even know what else. I drafted some other stuff that may or may not have been coming out. And then I went through with a fine-tooth comb and was like, all right, we got to pick things only with release dates and only from a studio whose previous games have gotten enough reviews. So I only went through and found games that were releasing on all the platforms from studios that have done things, especially things that have been bad. (laughs) So a bunch of no-name crap that who knows – you know, and I, I kind of went for like, for example, I, I took Story of Seasons. It's a it's a port. Yeah, it's like a HD remake. Sure. If that gets a 76, it's like, dude, six points is not not the end of the world. No. If anybody gets above an 80, then it's a failure on their part. Like if Suicide Squad gets above an 80, that's like the only one that even has like a possibility of scoring well. Amnesia and that is like not likely. <laughs> Amnesia has not had a good expansion like maybe ever, I think that I, this I is think a new that game, right? Outside of no, it's just, I mean, it, yeah, but okay, like a, a, a an amnesia game after uh, Dark Descent or whatever the first one was, um, has never I scored. Machine for Pigs scored well. Uh, Machine for Pigs may have scored well, but um, well, since then, and that that was still like relatively yeah. close to the release of it. That they've, was a long time ago. They've so. all been bad. None that was a seventy-two really from twenty thirteen. Yeah, so I don't I don't see that 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 would be shocking if that's above a 75, which is like well within whammy territory. Okay, can we talk about two of Chris's picks though, besides Lies of P, which is probably going to be relatively good. I'm a little sus on your Oni Road to be the mightiest Oni and your Curse <laughs> of the Sea Rats pick. <laughs> oh, the Oni you? pick is going to be a bad game. <laughs> You think it's called? It's called. It has the word "oni" in the twice. name twice. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, why are you? Have why you are you sus? On. Why are you sus about this? It, it looks bad. It looks like they've they figured out how to do the Breath of the Wild lighting, and they're like, okay, 
And for the rest of the game, we uh, have nothing. So let's just put this out and hope that uh, people buy it, I guess. What are, you, what are you sus about? What do you feel sus about those picks? It's got enough of that little... Um, what's that PlayStation exclusive? Uh, um, Journey? No. Um, oh, God. Anime game. Gravity Rush? No, it's an anime game with uh, Craig Ferguson sounding it. No, 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 no. Older than that. Persona? No, come on, guys. Help me out. Wrath of, Wrath of the Witch Queen or whatever. That franchise. What? Nino, Nino Kuni? Kuni? Nino Kuni. It, the, it's, <laughs> that, that was on 3DS first. You're thinking no. of Yo-Kai Watch. No, it was literally a, a 3DS game. What? No. Yeah. If you want to look it up, I'm going to look free. it up. This is crazy. We're loading things on the Console Crusade podcast. Yeah, it's, it looks like Nino Kuni. Which weebs love. It's got. It's not an RPG though. I know. Baldo looked like that too. <laughs> Remember that? Everyone was so excited for Baldo. It was released in Japan on the DS in 2010. Uh, same story beats, but it was built for the DS. That's insanity. But yeah, no, Oni's gonna be bad. That's easy. That's that's an easy 65. And that was definitely a Chris bid on the thing that I bid on, but he bid more. <laughs> Pick. Chris has been balls to the wall in all the leagues this year, dude. I'll tell you right the fuck now. If I have even a shred of a thought that Nick is bidding on something, I'm going to fucking take it from you in the first half of the year. Like that has been the plan. And honest to God, EJ, I'm kind of glad that all those games that you bid on that I tried to outbid you for and failed that I didn't get because... Nick cleaned our clocks last year, which means he knows quality, which means he also knows non-quality. And so I shamelessly was like, that's the strat in the first the first quarter of the 2023 league is I'm just going to try and rip everything that Nick bids out from under him. I let it be known that last year, Nick had his fair share of, of whiffs. I had six games not get scored. Let's not re let's not fucking relitigate this again. Those are bad choices too, EJ. Jigstradamus, bro. My evaluation of things this year has been almost on the money. Two points off on Like a Dragon, half a point off on the over under that I set on Horizon Call of the Mountain. Where's my money, by the way? <laughs> end of the year. Wait till it's actually finalized. Yeah, that, I'd wait till the end of the year. Counterpick Blanc. Hey, wait, wait, wait. We're not, we're, not, we're not talking about the other leagues. We're talking about the Whammy League. We're talking about the Whammy League. As Whammy League Commissioner, I need to rein us back in here. I need to give Nick his kudos. They just released the first like proper trailer for Crime Boss Rock City. It looks bad. It looks really You said bad. 77. And I have it because I tagged it in the league history and the manager's messages. Nick's exact exact quote is no really? 77. No. So <laughs> Uh, no, that's like that was like my like floor for it. And also, EJ, he said if Liza Fee gets below an eighty-five, you'll, you'll eat, eat your, your fucking, fucking shoe. <laughs> Wait, get the I hot sauce these? ready, buddy. Get the hot sauce <laughs> out. League, league history, bud. League history. You're gonna have to stew that in the crock pot for a couple of days to t tenderize that leather. That's so good. Uh, eighty-five liquor on that one. Wow. Can I be honest though? I watched the Liza P gameplay thing they released this week too i wasn't terribly impressed by it yeah it's hard to tell when you have an action game whether or not it'll actually come together i didn't think wild hearts was gonna get above a 75 but that's like a easy 80 81 right it's now an 80 open critic uh, yeah you would hope i mean for... it's hard to tell it's hard to tell without having hands on the sticks i drafted wild hearts and then and i dropped, dropped it, it as well 
because you scared oh. me, Nick, with your it's Koei Tecmo. Their worst games are still fine. I'm always like, ah, shit. You're well, you drafted right. in the Whammy League. Yeah, yeah. that's that. Yeah. that that would have been a big failure. Somebody tried to counterpick it the, that first week, but thankfully drops go through before counterpick, so I was able to get rid yeah, of I it. I probably I probably tried to also me it. definitely tried to counterpick that. That's great. Anyway, so that's the Whammy League. We're trying to um, out shit each other. It's not even worth going through the games we've drafted because no, it's not. No one's ever heard of any of these games. <laughs> yeah, who gives a fuck? Like we don't need to. We don't need to talk about party animals. Blood Bowl three. Blood Bowl is actually once upon a time a franchise that people like. There's a reason it was a third game, but the last one was awful. So I felt pretty good picking that. Europe can't can't be trusted. Yeah. Oh but yeah. It, it's something that by the end of the year will be very fun to look back on, but. As it stands right now, not very interesting to talk about beyond just the <laughs> the interplay and us bickering about it. It's great. It's a, it's a fun time. The activity in all three leagues through six weeks, seven weeks has been great. Every week there's stuff happening. It's been a huge first quarter. I mean, there's been so many games coming out and like of quality and notability. So it's it's hard not to have a very I mean, dude, February. We've got like 10 games released in February. It's stupid. Yeah. Wild. Most active I've been in league through like two, almost two months in three years. So you're out of your money already in two of the three leagues and it's not even March yet. So I'm not, I'm not out of my money. And also I feel good about the stuff I've, I've picked up. I don't see anything that I'm like, I'm going to need to drop this. It's going to be, it's going to be something that ends up like really pulling a full 180 that like looks pretty good. You, Nick, you were speaking to like some of the unpredictability until you have hands on sticks. Uh, but that's why we have super drops. One super drop, but and anything anything you super drop, you're not. It's not like you refunded the money that you spent, so you got to save some to fill any slots. I mean, you don't want to have a pepper grinder delayed into 2024 and then be like, well, it's uh, October now and there's nothing left coming out. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have I have some. I, I think... guess I'll pick up Sports Story. Stop. That's the worst oh, thing that can happen. Stop. <laughs> oh, the trauma. The lowest money I have in any league, I think, is the Whammy League. I think I have like 17 bucks left in the Whammy League. But you have what two slots to fill, so you're probably fine. And you yeah. have what twenty dollars in the other league? Oh no, 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 forty four. Forty four. No, left I've got, I've right, got decent right, money. Right. I got decent money. Right. I'm not repeating. It's almost half, and you've only got five slots to fill. Exactly. If I can average one point per dollar spent, I'll win the league. I think that that would bear out in Nick's data. If if you, I don't know if you have a column for like dollars bid to points earned, but that yes, would be a good. Do. You do great. And what did you what did you average points per dollar spent last year? So I mean, yeah, I mean, like last year we averaged uh, the 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 sum total, like our entire average was less than one point per dollar. Um, I don't know about individual. Yeah, yours is um, what I, I want to know. I got that calculated because <laughs> you ran a train on us, and uh, that's the that's the data. Well, I I scored the most points from pickups, just raw. I mean, I had over a hundred points from pickups and. Uh, so did I mean EJ had 37 points for pickups and he had 26 and I had 111 so like it was <laughs> pickups that won that yeah exactly that from the league <laughs> so dollars bad. dollars to points man dollars to points I'm telling you that's that's why I'm like you know what I'm not spending any more money on anything than I think it could potentially earn me anyway I could go on but we'll do a league checkup with uh, Brennan at a later date yeah let's jump to last of us I gotta pull up my notes I just did them on my phone this time it's only one page nice 
Top level thoughts. What did you guys think? I thought that this was some of the some of the most meaty acting work that we've got to see in a show that has already had like some pretty damn meaty acting work. I think that we're starting to get some of the like payoffs and emotional beats of the growth of our two principal characters, especially, uh, but also some good turns from uh, some of our uh, reoccurring characters like Tommy. Um, I thought the actor who played Maria was good, uh, but it was a character episode. And I appreciate a good character episode. Uh, and I thought that it was uh, it was very solid for me with some notable exceptions, which we'll talk about specifically the ending the last like five, six minutes. I thought it was great. I really liked it. I thought the uh, sort of familial tension between Tommy and Joel was really powerful and it uh, further cemented Joel as a character that we're just we're diehard rooting for Joel to like have his redemption and to like do the right thing and to save his daughter figure. Now, like they explicitly say in the episode, like he says, I am not your dad. You're not my daughter, but that is completely betrayed by the choice that he gives her later in the episode. And it's like, not even like that's like the next scene. That is the next scene is him taking back what he said, basically reneging on that. That sort of that promise. Overall, I, I texted Chris this. I, I thought it was a kind of a milk toast episode. It had it the good character moments, but I thought those were sort of maybe not undercut. Uh, I, I think those moments stand on their own. But to me, there was some poorly written dialogue. The ending was dumb. The action was stupid. There was some silly editing, which has actually been kind of a running theme. There have been these little moments that as an editor, I notice, and it blows me no away. No slow-mo, at least. No, no slow-mo, but you know what we got? We got a hilariously out-of-focus shot with like a janky warp stabilizer that somehow made it through, and it was like, oh, it's an artistic choice. No, it was a fucking bad edit, and I guarantee you, sometime in the next month or three months, that shot will get fixed and re-uploaded to HBO. The only weird editing choice that I really noticed in this episode was... The montage? <laughs> well, this, it was Joel having the the fade in and out um, yeah. recollection of his daughter, so which I thought was... I don't. I didn't like the 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 actual like gradient fade, you know, like the fade to black, fade up yeah. into... The, the cross fades into fucking... Yeah, the cross fades. It, it was a little... It was a little cheese it's ball. Hokey. It's college level work. And, and this is something I said before. This is such a minute detail to get hung up on, but when they flashed back to Sarah being killed in the first episode as he's killing the military officer, those are amateur choices. You don't need to beat the audience over the head. I understand that Joel is having these moments where he's questioning himself as a man. He's questioning himself as a father, now put back in this position as a father figure. You do not need to fucking do the like telenovela montage scene where you're seeing all of these cuts of his daughter. You don't need that. The character stuff stands on its own. And I acknowledge that. I just wish that my reaction to anything in this episode was like more than like, yep, they're doing this or anger, you know? And that's again, a testament to just how good the show has been. And this is also my, my top brain gets in the way of things where I'm like, I should just be able to enjoy the things that are done well, but it frustrates me that they can do so much so well, top tier filmmaking and then all these little things slip through the crack. Why do you have to sacrifice these other little things in order to do these things well? And television, you know, budget and and uh, even those are ten million dollar episodes. Um, time, you know, it, so you can't be too hypercritical of that. But there is a lot about this episode I want to talk about later that just 
really rubbed me the wrong way, but I love that they're humanizing Joel in a way the game did not. 100%. per fucking cent. He is this like sentinel of I'll kill you, fuck you, fuck everybody. And honestly, like when part two came out and it got like memed into oblivion of like, like, you know, the two corgis meme of like the giant buff, like corgi that's like, I'm Joel, and if you look at me wrong, I'll fucking kill you. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. And then, like, little bitty sad Corgi to Jack is like, hey, I'm Joel. This is my brother Tommy. Here's my gate password. Um, this is smart. <laughs> These are smart choices yeah. from showrunners who know that a second season is coming, who know yep. that they need to help him get there in a way that makes more sense than it's a sequel. Time has passed. Just accept it. Uh I thought that I th- I think I think that's great. I think that it's going to make a much easier bridge to part two. That's going to make a lot more sense for people than the tonal shift of Joel part one, Joel part two in the games. Something I really appreciated just to sort of piggyback off of that, just totally reminding me is showing Joel be a vulnerable person is something you don't really get a lot of from like these like archetypal stoic characters. It's like, oh yeah, he's got a lot going on under there, but like they never, they never show it. Like that's, that's the thing is that's so often the way you portray a, a masculine character in media is like, oh, he's just so brooding and like he's complicated. But like, no, Joel fucking breaks down in this episode. And I, I really appreciate that. Like, it shows him not being weak, but being open. And that's especially hard because of the way he just lied to his brother earlier in the episode about Tess and about what he's doing because he wants to put on this like tough exterior. He wants to be the big brother. He wants to you know, maintain that position of power over what he considers to be the guy he's looking out for. He came to save Tommy and Tommy's doing fine. He doesn't need to be saved. And where does that leave Joel? No, he's taking care of this daughter figure that he is struggling to come to terms with. Like, yes, I do have this feeling of protectiveness over this person and I do not want to fail them because I've already failed before. And it's the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I've murdered people, but that was not nearly as bad as failing the one I loved. Ooh. Man, when he breaks down with Tommy and and uh, Pedro Pascal is just great goated. fucking scene. He's the man. Great fucking scene. So let's start at the beginning because I have a question. I have a lot of questions actually that I'm hoping one of you can answer about Tommy specifically. But right at the beginning, we time skip three months. It's winter. Great choice. They could have ended the last episode with a time skip, and it would not have been as good. Not at all. I will say the thing about the time skip that that bothered me, and I wonder if you guys noticed this was. The buildup of Ellie and Joel's relationship has felt really natural. Yeah. And they've had to condense things that you get in a game over a course of hours that you can only get over the course of tens of minutes in the show. They've done that pacing really well. What I don't love with the three-month time skip is their relationship feels much more father-daughter now, much more whimsical. It feels like we miss a lot of development. And when when they're around the campfire and they're talking and and there's a there's a cute moment where she's like, you know, give me some of the whiskey, which, you you know, is implied that he shared with her before, but he's like, no, fuck off or whatever. And there's just this interplay with them that I just, I don't think we left these characters in this spot. And I know it's like, sure, we could do a whole other episode where it's just the two of them and, you know, nothing else. So I get you have to move things along, especially after wasting two episodes with Kathleen and that whole arc. But I just, I felt a little like, okay, we kind of jumped over a few steps here. Yeah, I think I, I get that a little bit, but mostly it's like if they had done just that as like, okay, this is the baseline. This is where they've gotten to now, but they kind of 
play it both ways where they still have those digressions where Joel treats her like he doesn't like he doesn't want her to get closer to him. And it's like, we're past that, dude. Like, maybe that's just sort of them saying this is Joel's character. And even if he is like developing this sort of relationship with Ellie, that he's still like actively fighting against it. And you're supposed to see it from her perspective. Like, come on, dude, like we're cool now. This is we're cool. Right. But the thing that sort of Lindsay asked and I was like, yeah, I guess they kind of just played it fast and loose with that. It's like they've been on the road for three months and he hasn't shown her how to hunt. And yeah, we get that payoff at the end of the episode and like you get that sort of bonding experience then. But that was after that's a that was a tension reliever at that point. But it's it's sort of smacks of like trying to have it both ways, having this sort of buddy buddy palling around moment. And then also he still doesn't trust her to take watch. Like it's kind of weird. They're trying to play it both ways at that point. It does speak to Joel's on one hand, his need to control and I would say that it's evident in his relationship with Tommy, but it's not in the show anyway. In the, in the game, yes, you learn more about their relationship. So on one hand, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to let you take watch. You know, I'm not going to let you shoot my rifle. I'm going to take care of you because that's how this dynamic works. You play your role. I play mine. And it's just Joel being controlling, which is what he does. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until they had their moment at the end of the episode where Joel decides to leave and and and. You know, he has his come to Jesus moment that another barrier drops. So I think in that respect, it works. But but whenever you do a time skip, it, it it honestly leads to more questions. Yeah. We open on them as father and daughter and we didn't leave them there. Yeah, I wouldn't say we open on them as father and daughter by any stretch. I, I did have pause, EJ, when we were like three months later. I went, oh, yeah, we kind of have to because they're literally fucking walking to Wyoming. Yeah. From Kansas City. That's a hell of a fucking walk. So I'm like, okay, time skip is inevitable. Uh, And I went, oh, yeah, I had a lot of the same the same misgivings where I went, oh, geez, are we going to get like a bunch of development that didn't happen? But Nick, as you said, like as things went on, I kind of went like, okay, the bones of this relationship are still the same. And it wasn't until the course of the rest of the episode that we actually got uh got those bones breaking down so that something new could be built up and like just in time, you know, conveniently for when Ellie, the only moment in, in the, uh, in the first game where Ellie like actually has to literally and metaphorically carry Joel and be the caregiver and be the protector. Uh, so I thought, yeah, I thought they pulled it off, but I think that I did. I had the same misgivings. I think initially early on, I was sort of like, Oh, they're getting kind of, familiar with each other oh but now they're still sort of sniping some of the same stuff put the rabbit down and she doesn't listen to him and uh teach me how to hunt no like i'll take both watches you go to bed but then he like fell asleep and that was a big moment of belying like yeah they're a little more cool now i think a little bit of that is contributed to them opening on a more like light-hearted sort of comedic tone that that lends itself much more to the dynamic of them joking around palling around together so maybe that contributed but it was also a welcome reprieve after the heaviness of the previous episode and how it ended that you really did tonally need something that was like them not in danger not you know interacting with anybody else like coming across that cabin and having those two great character actors who i love every time i see them pop up and anything like i thought that was a good way to open the episode but it just it did sort of feel a little bit too familiar especially with a three-month time skip you're like okay we're in the future now is like, what's changed and you're like on high alert for what's different. The, the one that I went three months and you've never talked about this 
is Ellie going, I tried to use my blood on Sam. That was the one moment in the episode that I went, and we'll get there when we talk, like, you know, through sequentially, but I kind of went, three months? You've never mentioned that. Never. In three months. I could see that. I mean, that being like a shared trauma. I buy it a little bit, but three months is a long time. I think that reflects on Ellie as a character of, like, her and Joel being similar in their regret and on their failure and their perceived failure of those that they tried to protect and they try to care for. I, I, that, that doesn't stick out to me as being like weird because she didn't tell Joel that she had tried and that she knew that Sam had turned and had been bitten the night before. Right. Well, after we leave the couple in the cabin and they have their little banter and great uh, scene, you gave them soup. <laughs> it's cold outside. <laughs> Did you tell him the truth? Yeah. Are you telling me the truth? Are you telling me? Yeah. <laughs> so we cross the river of death and they get accosted by uh, these people from the settlement. Before I get into my, my next set of grievances or, or questions, really, they're questions. I want to say, I love that we got to go to the settlement instead of the, the dam like we do in the game. Oh my God. Fantastic change. Fantastic change. I got, and again, like, you know, I played part two when it came out just two and a half years ago. Uh, almost three years now, I uh, haven't played part one in a decade. And when they got to that fucking gate, like all the hair on my arms stood up and they come through the gate and there's kids having a snowball fight, just like the fucking first sequence from the last of us two. When Ellie's getting ready to go on patrol, we see all the shops. We see like the house, the house they live in. Ah, oh, God. Like I went, I just, I, I was so happy that they did that. And honest, and, and did we, did we see Dina for a second? We definitely saw somebody who was supposed to be Dina. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird. I think of all the, the thousand different ways you could introduce a Dina cameo, like the awkward, like from behind the pillar and scurrying off. It was just shot weird. Like I kind of laughed. I knew right away what they were doing and I just laughed. I was like, that's that's just like an awkward way to have done that. Well, they can't show her because it's not going to be that actor. It's the same thing we were talking about with like introducing Abby in episode nine, that it's going to be like a behind the head shot of some random fucking body double. Abby's cast, bro. Well, I know, but she's not in. I don't think she's going to be in this season. I would be very surprised anyway. Yeah, but it's just a nice little bit of like this person is intrigued. They recognize something in the energy of this this newcomer. That I was like, I don't even care if it doesn't end up being Dean. I'd love in season two if Dean is like, yeah, I saw you that first day you came in. I, you know, you, you weren't like the other people, whatever. But yeah, Jackson. A faithfully recreated set. Everything down to the, the little stores and the, you know, the Christmas tree and everything. It just, it was awesome. And to see, again, I've said it every episode that we have talked about, just the way they pepper in things about this world without beating you over the head with it. For example, you see an elderly person in a wheelchair. Like, what does that say about the world? That these people, you know, obviously, yeah, there's this big gated community, but like all the QZs are gated communities and it's not this utopia. Yeah. Wait, you're a communist? Communism. <laughs> no. no, no, no. It's not like that. It's not like that. No, it literally is. We're a commune. This is communist. We're communists. <laughs> yeah. The look on their faces. Say it. Tommy's Say the so word. Stupid. Say it on HBO Max. This little pocket of happy people living normal lives with power they can take care of the young and the old. They have, you know, medical facilities and and even a, a jail. But you, know, even they said they, they, not that we need it. And sheep, yo, goats, as Ellie put it. 
yeah, it's just great how we learn about, you know, and there are like little things like the shot of them taping the boots up and just little things that, you know, they're not important to what's happening, you know, necessarily, but they linger on these moments. Yeah, but they are things that happen. They're real things that happen that they don't have to get out the foam mallet and hit us over the head with. It's nice to know. I love learning more about you know, the questions that these moments raise, that they just linger on ever so slightly, and you start thinking about the inner workings of this town, or you think about like, yeah, goddamn, how did they just walk across country? Yeah, they'd have holes in their goddamn shoes. And, you know, so just little moments like that. I love, and it makes you think and start asking yourself all those questions that you'll never have answered, but it's interesting to think about it. And isn't um isn't Shimmer Ellie's horse in part two? Isn't that the horse yes. that she takes to Seattle? Yes. I, well, yeah, she was, was like, oh, this one's called Shimmer. And I went, like on the couch and Tiffany was like, that must be a reference. I'm like, yeah, that's her horse in part two. And she's like, oh, that's cool that they're doing that. And I'm like, yeah, it is cool, right? Like, So let me ask, I have like three questions about Tommy. Okay. I don't even want to think about the game. I just want to think about what they have told us and what they've shown us in this game. I was under the impression that the reason Joel decided to go looking for Tommy is because he was trekking west and they had been in contact the whole time via the, the radio. And it was when he quit making contact that he decided to go on this journey. So whatever, however long Tommy was gone, anywhere between, I mean, probably three months, could have been upwards of maybe six months. From what I understand, Tommy left. He's going to Wyoming or whatever, but they had been in contact. Okay, we learned in this episode that Tommy quit radio contact because those were the rules of the commune. So you start doing the mental math and you're like, okay, Tommy was not gone that long. Joel and Ellie were only gone for probably just under, I mean, what, three and a half months from when they started their journey. So now I'm thinking like, so Tommy somehow got this commune to trust him because these people aren't associated with the Fireflies. Not only did he not get killed, he gets brought into this commune and then he manages to marry and knock up the leader of the commune. Democratically elected. Council member. I don't know if they touched on in the in the here, but in the game, I think it was her and her dad who started. We talk commune. about the game. Yeah, I want to talk about the game. I just want to talk about the show. I don't know what is what because in the game, Tommy and Joel have a bad relationship. They haven't talked in years, right? And that sort of informs like this whole back and forth and why he decides not to stay and all these other things. Here, I'm like, okay, his whole motivation for even taking Ellie was to go find Tommy because they had just lost contact. And if you had just lost contact, it's implied that it, that was that was when he became a part of this commune. I don't understand the timeline there. Yeah, and I wonder if there is, like, if they have radios in the town that Tommy was, like, surreptitiously communicating back through their mystic ways of 80s songs or whatever. But, yeah, because at the beginning of the season... Joel has like try he's like hunting down the guy who's in control of the radio towers and the QZ and he's like hey is, have you heard anything from Tommy and it's like no I haven't heard anything from him in what like weeks maybe like two weeks two weeks so grand total maybe like four or five months correct me if I'm wrong Nick my understanding was that Tommy had been gone for quite some time that this was not like he just quit the fireflies and he just started making his way west that like Tommy has been gone for a long time yeah, the feeling I got was just based on what Joel told Ellie. It's like, yeah, Tommy was a joiner. He ran with the fireflies because he wanted to save the world and then became disillusioned with that at some point. I'm not sure like 
he's pretty vague about it and Joel has a propensity of bending the truth when it benefits him. So for all we know, Joel could have been the one that was like all gung ho about fireflies and getting disillusioned. Like he he's projected other things onto people that he like he has no reason to tell the truth to Ellie. Well, here's something else too. Tommy knew where their closest base of operation to Wyoming is. Like that to me says he was a part of setting that base up like that. That's where that he, he was out West already, but he also didn't know that they had left and it seemed like they'd been gone for a while too. Yeah. It's, it's murky and, and it shouldn't matter that much, but it matters in the sense that again, we've skipped over things like I would have loved to get the bottle episode instead of any Kathleen shit seeing Tommy Joel and Tommy being fireflies or like interacting more when they're earlier in the the post-apocalypse. I want to inform their relationship, you know, and, and I feel like I had to rely on what I remembered from the game of how, how the two of them were. And I didn't like that. I feel like we missed out because we, we they meet up and they're, they're, they're tears in their eyes when they reunite. That was a great moment. You cut to Ellie sort of presumably she's thinking like, I wish I had somebody like that. You know, just the, that she's feeling that she's now a rung or two lower on the priority list for Joel. Now that he's reunited with his brother but that was a good moment. And then it, and then you kind of you, you get some world building stuff. You see the compound. And then they have their like little macho back and forth where Joel is learning about Tommy's life and but then they do the will they won't they crap with like we're going to we're going to fight. It was very played out. That's human, man. Like the whole the whole progression of the interactions is so fucking human where as soon as he sees him the sound that comes out of his mouth it's just guttural of like starting to say the name and then like screaming it by the time he gets to the end of the name and like, Oh, thank fucking God you're alive. You're the last blood I have basically. But that's what would happen is the first, the first beat is thank fucking God you're alive. And then when you actually have to have a conversation, it's like, shit, it's been a long time. And we had like clear ideological differences because Joel did not fuck with the fireflies. He did not fuck with that stuff. And now they have to actually converse with one another. Joel has like shown up with a child which is like, well, who the hell is this? Tommy's got his own his own stuff that he's that he's got going with regards to I'm going to be a father and the revelation of that and how that sits on Joel. Obviously, like we know, given the history of the people, never for one moment where I like they're going to punch each other like never, ever for one moment where I like was I like these guys are going to punch each other just because they were in proximity. That to me showed communicated intimacy more than it communicated violence of like. I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to tell you this right here because I know that you can hear it right here. You need to let this go. Like this is not going to happen. You need to drop it. Like, I don't know. I did. That just was not my read on that scene at all of like the Western macho bar guys fight. It was two dudes with a fucked up, complicated history who were talking past each other. And once they start talking about what actually is on the table, Joel's not ready to go there yet. Not until Ellie takes him to task later, not till he comes open to Tommy when he's fixing his shoes later and go, Hey, this is what I wasn't saying in the bar. Now we can talk about it. And you also get that scene of, of Tommy, like coming to Joel and feeling like he should be the one to apologize, even though Joel was clearly being a dick. And that's like a really cool sort of additional brother dynamic. It's Tommy is in a much better place. Emotionally. He has a lot less of this, trauma bearing down on him at all times like he's grown past that he's living this good life and joel is not living a good life he's every day he chooses 
to live through his trauma every single like that's that's his every waking moment and jolene's fucking therapy oh totally and tommy is doing a lot better and tommy comes and apologizes like that should have been joel but joel would never do that and tommy also knows that so he gave the olive branch he extended that and joel opened up to him and that was like a really great sort of brotherly moment and i don't know it worked for me i didn't feel like it was like the 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 really cheesy machismo chest beating kind of moment like it was it was high drama obviously but it was earned and I felt like it was valid. I think the beats of those interactions make sense. The, the two issues I have with it is that one, I was assuming things about the relationship based on Joel's motivation for the entire show so far. Tommy was his motivation. Yeah. And once you get there, you see Tommy working in this commune thriving and Joel is robbed of another thing to be fighting for. He doesn't have to save his brother. He's rightfully upset that he was like he was cut off. When we're in the bar after the happy reunion, and you think like, "All right, we're gonna catch up now." And, and he he lies about Tess, and then they sit down, and you know you get Joel's like, you know, yeah, we'll see about that. When he's told that he's gonna be a father, and then we get like, you know, the close up of Tommy being like, "Yeah, well, you gotta let your dead daughter go, asshole." It bothered me, but when we get to the scene where Joel breaks down and. Tommy very reluctantly agrees to take Ellie the next day to where they think the fireflies are. That's a great moment for Joel. We're giving him more as a character than the game ever could have. Uh, and like Chris, you said, we are, we're building up to a season two and three in a way that will make way more sense than the game and hopefully fix a lot of the wrongs. Um, we get a, a, a scene that's pretty, pretty one for one uh, in the game. Ellie taking Joel to task. Yeah, and just the finally saying Sarah's name and going like, "I'm not her," and I think you need to, I think you need to get a grip on that, which really touched a fucking nerve. He's like, "Yeah, you sure as hell are not." Can we talk about the scene between Maria and Ellie that preceded this? This is where Ellie learns Joel had a daughter. You know, they walk into the home and they have the chalkboard with Maria's baby boy who died at like what three years old, right after the outbreak, and you have Sarah's birthday and death date and ellie says like oh i'm sorry you lost your children she said just the one the other one is joel's and you know she has that moment long shot just on bella ramsey like letting that wash over her and going whoa right like that That explains a lot about the guy (laughs) completely recontextualizes the entire nature of like the last three and a half months that they've shared together great beat for her fucking fantastic like discovery I really like Maria when they shared a, a tender moment where at first it's very reluctant, right? Ellie's just like, no, you're not going to cut my hair. I don't want to fucking talk to you. And she learns about the kids. And there's a little back and forth here that at first you think like, okay, it's going to be a little on the nose, little one note. But I kind of liked how she's like, do you even know who Joel is? And Ellie's like, do you even know who Tommy is? And then instead of it sort of like being the standoff, she's like, Yeah. I have a much better grasp of this than you do. You know, and it didn't become combative. Ali was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, right. But also the fact that, uh, you know, that Ellie's like, I don't trust you. I don't trust him. Like, completely. Well, she trusts Joel, but like, uh, maybe she's just like, no, I don't. And, but anyway, that she's mistrustful naturally. And Maria's like, good. Good. That's why you're not dead, basically. Yeah. You know, you can't be betrayed by people you don't trust. You know, yeah, or how, however she she phrases yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Then we have Ellie rips into Joel, and Joel storms out. 
and and now obviously now we know after the scene with Tommy, like we know what Joel where Joel is at, and we forgot to mention that he was like having panic, uh, not panic attacks, but but panic induced moments. Right, yeah. he was maybe having an arrhythmia or a breathing trouble or pain, whatever. But it was clearly messaged as I, actually I don't want to say clearly messages panic or anxiety because at first I honestly thought to you that they were going to set up Joel having some heart issue in lieu of the fucking rebar. I thought the same thing. I was like, (laughs) no, no. I was like, they can't. That is so grossly ham fisted. I would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? And to do it, the episode that it would have happened. Yeah, I was, I was, I thought the same fucking thing, man. Same thing. I'm glad it wasn't. I loved that touch. Well, that pays off really nicely later when he goes outside and he sees the back of the woman's head. He doesn't think it's Sarah. He's reminded of Sarah and he's having this like PTSD moment and he's seeing this woman who looks like his daughter and he kind of snaps out of it when her own daughter runs over to her. He sort of snaps out of it. But I like that. That's the kind of imagery I like when we're when we're trying to hammer home something thematically to me doing the montage where we're dipping in and out. Why do we need to do that? That moment where he sees Sarah and he, he doesn't mutter Sarah. Like that would have been too much. He sees her. We know what Joel is thinking because we see her too. That's just subtle enough. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Would you have felt similarly if they had spared us the flashback images of Sarah's death in the episode where he, where he, which I think was the pilot, the episode where he kills, that was the second episode, the episode where he kills the cop. Cause I, I kind of feel like if they hadn't have already given us that, I would have bought two thirds of the way through the season, Joel reflecting on Sarah openly for the first time and getting to see that in his mind's eye. But having done it twice, I, I kind of share your sentiments a little bit like, it's a little more on the nose than I think it had to be, especially given that like moment that you just mentioned. That's so beautiful and nonverbal. I think it would have been, it would have been more jarring. I think if that was introduced in this episode, it's like, Oh, now he's suddenly having daughter flashbacks. Like that would have been weird. Like, I think it's like integral to establish that as his character from the word go, like in this post-apocalypse, like that is, that is his one regret. That is his, his trauma, his flaw to to undercut the tension in the first episode with the flashback to her standing there with the gun pointed at her. That was too much. That was, that was bad. And in this episode, the montage, again, we had the dream sequence. We had uh, not the sequence, but the, 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 the moment where he's waking up from the dream. We have the moment where he's looking out and he sees this woman who looks like Sarah though. That's enough. I would have felt the same way about it either way. Like you guys are nailing all these other things. Why are we sacrificing these other moments or adding these other moments in to like, you know, really kick us in the teeth about it. Like we get it. Okay. Your, your, your viewers are largely informed and intelligent. Like we understand subtlety. We understand largely, largely. Oh man. No, they are fucking not. I don't disagree with any of the things that you've said with that montage. I don't think we needed it, but you assume much from very fucking stupid media consuming people, my friend. It's a very minor nitpick in the grand scheme of things, and it's only really noticeable because everything else is executed so well. Precisely. And this is, again, I, I go on the same damn rant every episode we do. This is my beef with watching week to week. Is if I knew that I just had another three episodes after this, I probably wouldn't have sat here tearing apart the episode as I went. I would have just let it be. And enjoyed it for what it was. Do you think it was a little bit rushed that 
Joel was at the horse sort of uh, stable and had the horse packed up and was like, hold on, let me just completely undercut the previous scene by giving you a choice now. Did that sort of smack you as weird? Because that was like, yeah, we just had this big moment, but then it's like if a character dies in a movie and then they're resurrected like the next scene. It's like, okay, then what was the point of them like having that that confrontation the day before? Like, is he really just going to go through with this when he had this big traumatic opening up to Tommy and like begging him to do this for him. Like it it just kind of came across a little rushed. Like it seemed like this was an episode that had a lot edited out. Yeah. You know, I think they've gotten the pacing of beat to beat, right? I disagree with some of their creative choices and the story threads that they decided to, you know, unravel, but the pacing episode to episode has felt really good. And this being another lull the way episode three was, uh, and and quite necessary after the the trauma of of the Henry and Sam plot, but it felt like we could have probably condensed that last stuff into a single episode, and we could have gotten to, to this this commune a little earlier, and we could have had more Joel and Tommy. We could have had the reunion in the last episode. I don't know if I really would have wanted like another episode's worth, but it seemed like there was maybe five minutes of something like I. I I don't know what I would have wanted, but it seemed like they kind of skipped over the whole, why wouldn't Ellie wonder why the both of them were not going to take her? Like if, if Tommy was like all ready to go, why didn't both of them go with her? You know, that could have been something that they were more explicit about because they kind of just rushed into, oh, JK kiddo, I guess we're going on this grand adventure. Like it, it was a little bit rushed. Yeah, I, th- I think that we were meant to take the Sarah montage to be some, and I'm not weighing in on like the success or failure of that yet. Um, I think we were meant to take that as Joel processing through why am I responding this way? I need to come to grips with this, et cetera, et cetera. I think we would have been better served by that being done differently. I don't love just as a me thing. And this is my like director and educator brain with young people's like, I don't want my students to tell me what they would have done because they didn't do it. So I don't give a shit. I just want them to like respond to the thing that they saw. Uh, and all that being said, um, for my money, I would have loved to have seen a different choice there. Uh, if that is what we are supposed to take from that is Joel going, you know what? I need to own this. I agreed to do this. This is not my daughter. I don't need to carry that weight with this specific person. I could come to grips with that separately from this other human entity. So yeah, I'm with I'm I'm with you a little bit there, Nick. I kind of I kind of felt the same way. I thought they didn't pull that off particularly well. Yeah, and I think as as I process this and as I I feel like I get a lot more out of these episodes as I have these conversations with you guys, I think that it is probably pretty obviously just set up for this is another thing that Ellie and Joel are going to argue about and come to terms with and then become closer over like her realizing that he was going to ditch her, but then did not. And the immediacy of her choosing Joel over Tommy, who was probably a more like Joel admitted, like he's slow, he's deaf, he's old. He's not the person he once was. He's not as good of a protector as Tommy would have been, but she wanted Joel because that was the one that she trusted. That was the, he was the only person who stuck with her. Like she, she did say, so it's just another thing. It's more set up to be paid off in a future episode, which a lot of these up, you know, that's a great thing to have a 
a setup and then a payoff in a future episode. That's like good storytelling in TV in particular. So it's just tough for me to watch this episode and have that moment and be like, that didn't have a satisfying conclusion yet. And that's, you know, TV, I guess. Yeah. And that's why I feel like if we could have gotten more, you, you said five minutes, I said another episode somewhere in the middle where we just saw more of Tommy and Joel's relationship. We see more of why Joel makes this decision the way he does and flip flops So, so quickly and yeah, answer explicitly, like, why wouldn't we just do this together as brothers? Casey's got a kid. He only reluctantly agreed to do it because Joel begged him with tears in eyes. Like, he doesn't want to fucking do it. And you don't need two. Like, two dudes are not going to save her from, like, a horde of infected more than one dude is. But what was Joel going to do while Tommy was off gallivanting with Ellie was he just gonna stay there and like play shuffleboard down at the wreck house No, he was I mean, stealing a horse he was gonna go back to Boston or wherever presumably it seems like he is telling them that he was going to do this thing and then changed his mind in the morning like that was something that he slept on and it was like I really should give Ellie his choice and that's a hard thing I think for a visual medium like film or television to establish besides him just flat out saying it but we don't, I, I wasn't, I guess, satisfied enough by the crossfade dream sequence of him thinking about his daughter the night before as the primary sort of motivation. So I think that failure from the night before leads itself into a weak sort of conclusion of him changing his mind and saying, you know, I am willing to risk being a failure because I do care about this person. And like having that realization was shown, but just not in a good way. So maybe that's my that's my that is maybe my gripe in totality. Then, Chris, you said that something you you tell your students is like, don't tell me what you would have done, but I'm going to tell you what I would have done. Do you remember that moment of the game where Tommy gives? He says, "Hey, I I, I would I went back home. I saw it by the house. It had been raided, but I found this picture of you and Sarah." And Joel says, "I don't fucking want it because he's walled off emotionally." Why couldn't we have had that moment in this episode? And instead of the fucking cringy flashback scene, we just get a slow pan as he's pondering. We don't even see the photo. It's just Joel. Let's see the these micro emotions going across Pedro Pascal's face as he's processing this. And he either throws it away or he leaves it in a book and leaves the house and he doesn't take the picture with him. That would have done the same thing, but so much more powerfully while also being an Easter egg for a moment in the game. So anyway, I, yeah, they're just, there are those moments that you think like, ah, oh, you guys have, really hit so much of this out of the park. You you just, you want to keep batting a thousand, you know? That's fair. And, yeah, that's fair. Um. Anyway, we said this was going to be a two-hour podcast. Let's talk about this last scene. They get to uh, the university where the fireflies are supposed to be. Uh, they see some monkeys. They see the, the firefly symbol on the sign pointing them to the science building. They go. It's abandoned. Okay, so we get the moment in the, in, in, in the game. This is like a, a proper standoff with these people. They're sort of hiding and trying to make their way out of the university. I don't mind that they condensed it here. Like it, it makes sense. Like we don't need a big set piece at the end of the episode. Well, you didn't want another Kathleen hold up at the university, some other band of ravagers for the backstory for another episode. Right. We get Nolan North as like the fucking commando of this, of this uh, <laughs> university squad. Like, wait, shouldn't he be eating people? What's he doing here? But don't worry. His brother died and it was really sad. Let's talk about that some. Right. We're going to, we're going to flash back to their childhood better. Talk about thunderstorms. Yeah. So, <laughs> Okay, what what's the problem that you guys have with this 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 ending? I didn't I didn't really I didn't, I don't know. EJ, I feel like you always have to be the negative guy, and I want to be the negative Chris, guy. Chris, neg away. <laughs> I will. I will neg the shit out of this. Okay, so 
this is a, obviously a major, major, major moment from the game. It's, it's, it's supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to be something where we question for the first time, how is this going to work without Joel being like healthy and able-bodied? And in the game, you cannot believe like when he falls from the scaffolding, you're like, wait, what? That's like one of the like biggest memories other than like the final shot of the game and like getting out of the lab uh, that I have of this is I it was like 2.30 in the morning. My ex-wife is asleep on the couch. She's been watching me play, watch me play the whole game. Both of them, all my roommates that summer did watch me play this game to completion. And so Daphne's asleep. We're I'm playing last of us. Like a yeah, Joel fault lands on the lands on the, the, the rebar or the like piece of like, like broken metal or whatever. Uh, and then he falls off the horse and he's going, Joel, 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 Joel. And it's just like, wham, like smash cut to title card winter or whatever. And then we come up on the winter scene and here comes Ellie with the bow all by herself and out loud, like literally at the top of my legs and voluntarily, I just go, what the fuck? And Daphne wakes up on the couch. She goes, What's, what, what, what happened? What happened? Was like dead asleep and just involuntary, like <laughs> shout of holy shit. So it's a major what the fuck moment. It's a major how are we getting out of this moment. And we got one dude grappling with Joel and then we cut away and, oh, Joel just got stabbed in the side and apparently has no awareness of it. And then Joel, our hardened survivalist and smuggler, and I'm so glad you put this out, EJ, takes the fucking thing out of his side, which you would never, ever, ever do if you had an ounce of sense when it comes to that kind of wound. You'd never remove it. Because then you're going to fucking bleed out. And the reason why it worked in the game is because it was a fixed object that he's like, I'm either going to get stuck on this and die or I'm going to pull it out and hope that I don't fucking die. Those are my choices. So I was like, this made absolutely no fucking sense to me. I love that we got a moment of like Joel had to kill again. He doesn't feel great about it. There's a long shot on him and Ellie looking at each other. But then I'm just like, oh, he just took this like baseball bat handle shiv in this like three second encounter with this guy, it was just like, like you said, Nick, that was there more of this encounter we just didn't see and they cut it for time. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like I it's, it's a weak change to me from a blocking standpoint, from an editing standpoint, like we didn't see enough of the struggle. Just again, blocking where they're at in the scene. The fact that this guy was able to basically get right up on Joel without Ellie seeing that took me out of the world. I was like, okay, that's, it was sort of Kathleen jumping out from side stage and like, ha ha. Like it was almost <laughs> like that. I'm like, yeah. wait, they would have fucking known what this guy was like. That, that just was silly. And then here's my, here's my beef. Okay. If you're going to change it to the, you know, from the rebar spike, I disagree with that because that moment where he's falling and you're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. They can't throw him out of a two, three-story building. They can't do that. He's He can't die. And you see him getting pale, then you're just literally fucking speechless, shocked. So to remove that moment, it's a little frustrating. But you have the struggle. The guy's hands, he breaks the bat. You see the pieces fly away. His hands are up here the whole time, around his neck, as he's trying to not suffocate. I understand the idea was that he had this in his hand and he stabs him, but his hands are here the whole time. So then you just think to yourself, wait, did this fucking shiv splinter off of the tree and jettison its way into Joel's stomach? You got to get us the hand swing. You got to give us a sound cue. You have to give us a, a grunt. You don't have to show us the injury, but you got to set up the reveal. You can't just be like, surprise, this toothpick flew off the tree and hit me. 
And so it was just bad editing, bad blocking in that sense. And and yeah, exactly what you said, Chris. Joel would know better than to take that out. And so from that aspect, and I think on the podcast, they were like, why would he know better? He made a decision in shock. Come on. He's 56 years old. He's been living in this apocalyptic wasteland for 20 years. He's not pulling that out of his stomach. And I guess they don't show it. They could have done it, but they don't patch him up at all. They just put him on the horse. And it just, it it felt rushed. It felt lazy. And was a, a, a really goofy way to end what was like a, a fine episode with good moments. It didn't ruin the episode for me, but that's where I, Chris, when I texted you and I was like, my least favorite episode so far. And I don't know if I still feel that way. I, I rewatch all these episodes and you let things settle and you think about things a lot and things change. But yeah, it, that was just a, a rough way to go. Yeah, for me, this is like the my second or third favorite. Like it's kind of a toss up between this one and the uh, previous episode as far as impact, just because of those character moments and the character building and that Joel breaking down. Like that was just so powerful and like effective that I, uh, I, I don't fl- I don't fault it for any of its other sort of uh missteps i do agree it was weird that they chose to have this encounter outside when they were just inside if it was inside you can get away with a lot more like shaky cam what's happening you're trying to follow the action you're being ambushed it's very you know sudden and it's just sort of like things are happening really quickly and that was the feeling i got outside but it's it's it is a little bit harder to be like oh ellie just saw these people coming from around the building like 30 yards away and that was their reaction time i guess but i didn't have a problem with the the splintered off baseball bat and even if they didn't like yeah he pulls it out i didn't think that was like weird because yeah he just got stabbed in the gut by this huge ass piece of wood and it's probably doesn't feel good that it's in there i'd think of our buddy sam uh, ej at when he was working at fedex something happened and he like broke his fingers like something happened to his hand like he like literally there was like a hairline fracture in his hand and his immediate reaction was to grab his fingers and yank them, which made it worse. And it ended Ugh. up like breaking them more. Like it was a hairline fracture and he full on broke his fingers. Ugh. So people do dumb shit when they're injured. And it's just like, you're just like, this is wrong. This is in me. It, it shouldn't be in me. And he pulled it out. Like, that's fine. I don't, I don't just because he's a hardened survivalist doesn't mean that he can't make mistakes. Obviously he got jumped by this kid in uh kansas city as well like he's obviously capable of making mistakes they're showing him as not being infallible like yeah he's tough but he's not perfect and that's like his fear is being a failure he's probably the next episode is going to be him being so sorry that he let down ellie and like that's going to be something else he's got to have to deal with like he's already let down his daughter he let down ellie multiple times and he's afraid of that and it's him grappling with that fear and that's like set up for the future and I really like the ending of this episode of Ellie being like, Joel, you can't leave me. This is not fair when you were going to leave me. And now you are actually physically no longer going to be able to take care of me. I can't do this by myself. And I think it might've been like, I don't want to be one of Chris's students and say what I would have done, but it might've been more effective if they just had that like scene and didn't have like a slow pan out with a musical cue. Like that was a choice. I don't know if it was effective um i was fine with it it was like it was okay but like the impact of the scene was not from the music it was from ellie's line delivery and how well that was done by bella ramsey and if they you know they could have done it easily with the the baseball bat still stuck in him and him still bleeding out because you got this mortal wound in your gut you do not want to get hit in the gut that's a bad place to get hit there's a lot of important stuff in there if they wanted to telegraph 
any number of things. Like they should have done that. If they wanted to telegraph that, oh yeah, Joel panics, make a mistake, they could have, you know, Joel's trying to take it out and Ellie's like, no, 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 no. And or like the guy's going after Ellie and he defends her and like gets gutted because of that. And like, right. you know, they, yeah, they could have done it back, but it was just I, I don't I don't fault it for what it does do, but I do see your point where it could have been a lot better. But that way lies madness, and I don't have that sort of I don't jump to that conclusion immediately. Like, oh, I, I, I wish they would have done this. I I would have done this. You know, like that's just I'm taking it for what it is. I love your thought on the music too, because that was part of what made that moment so powerful in the game. Not that everything has to be the game; it is an adaptation. I respect the differences, and a lot of them have been very good. But it's Ellie shaking Joel, 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 and then it's just wham season over we're into a new a new a new sequence of this game in a new season and i know that they pretty much have done this at the end of like every episode that we've had like the acoustic guitar music cue to like punch us in the emotional cock on the way out the door um but if ever there were a time to give us the no music cue i think it would have been here i think a no music cue would have been more like because at the end of this episode Lindsay was already asking like are we supposed to believe that joel is dead like is that what they're trying to leave us with but i think the music cue makes it less of a like because if they had just ended on silence that would have been like oh joel's fucking dead and then the next episode would have been like them teasing that like oh is joel actually alive yeah and that's that that's something you could do in the game but if they do that in the tv show then it's it's not as i don't think that would be as uh enjoyed no that's valid and nobody wants a Glenn situation, right? Or like <laughs> I climbed into the dumpster or whatever the fuck they did when he didn't die. And then only for him to die like half a season later, that would literally be like the same, even like maybe the same like distance in episodes or relative place in season for Joel when he eventually bites it in season two. I want to say one more thing about, about the end of this episode that EJ, I mentioned this to you in text, but Part of, you know, my feelings about this end sequence, right, is like, it, it, it was fast. Why is it only the one guy? Like, that feels quick. Could this have been like a bigger sequence? Not like like the Kansas City sequence, but just like a little bit longer where we actually feel some stakes. We actually see them struggling. And then, bam, the coda on that is Joel. Joel is injured in whatever way he's injured. I will... I will buy this. I will accept this makes sense to me. And their overall like reticence to do a ton of violence a lot of the time. If episode nine is a fucking bloodbath to me, that would it has make, to be. It would make perfect. Well, you say that. And yet they've talked about like lessening the amount of violence from the game. They've talked about how they don't want it to just be a video game on screen, which is like people dying all the time because you get desensitized to it. So I hope, I hope that they are saving their pennies. They are saving their violence credits of a man who does not want to kill anymore has expressed. I don't want to do this. It hurts me. It costs him something. Every time he's killed someone in the show, we have watched it on Pedro Pascal's face. If the thing that finally breaks him in the last episode and we see a lot, a lot of bodies going down at his hand because of the situation that Ellie gets put into. I will 100% buy it in context of the whole show. If they don't, I'll agree with EJ completely that it just felt like lazy and rushed. Well, they could have still accomplished exactly what you're talking about while also making that scene like more adequate. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And they've shown their propensity to do that. Like when they get jumped by the Ravagers in Kansas City in the beginning, like that was only like four dudes. And you're right. Like they could have done something similar to that, but 
they had already just done that. So like, what do they do? That's different. Shit. Just put them on the horse and let them escape. And one of them fucking shoots, but they had to give us the scene of them looking like fucking goons in a teenage mutant Ninja Turtles video game, walking by with the bats. Like they could have just fucking shot them from a distance and they kept riding, you know, and that would have been that, but they, you know, but they, they, they made a choice and then they didn't execute and it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the show. You know, I agree with you, Chris. I think that is exactly what they should do. And that's what I hope they do. And it would make sense. That's the feeling I get that that is what they're intending to do. You know, they don't have to sacrifice the quality of something else to achieve that. Like they could have still done that and just executed the scene better. But I'm excited to rewatch this whole show in like a weekend when it's all out and just experience it back to back to back and take it in without expectation and without uh, any baggage other than just like, let's just take it for what it is. I know what's happening and uh, appreciate these performances and write it out. So, well, here we are, another two-hour podcast. We always say we're not going to, but we do. You know what? I don't. You know what? I don't mind. I don't mind. How about in my week? Aww, chat with you, fine folks. Look forward to this every week. I can't can't wait for next week when we get to uh, recap the Pokemon presents. Talk about episode seven, which I presume is going to be. Let's go to. I presume it's going to be a bottle episode of Left Behind episode seven. Um, Move right past that. Move right past that. Yeah, I'm just I'm EJ. It's never going to happen. Talk about expectation and you and expectation, man. Like you got to you got to let it go like Elsa, baby. Just you and Pokemon in general. Oof. Well, Nick, you said something in text today. You say nobody hates Pokemon like Pokemon fans. And, you know, I don't like that saying because it goes around. No one hates Star Wars like Star Wars fans. They've given us a lot of reasons to be mad at it. Do do a good thing and we won't be mad. It, it, I think that's doing a disservice to the fans. Also, I feel like it lumps me in with the fans who are like mad that they cast a woman or a black guy in a Star Wars movie. Like that lumps me in with those guys. That's not why I'm mad. So I don't I just don't like that. I just don't like that. Yeah, it's more just like the the overly invested people who hang their entire personality on liking something and then their personality turns into being mad about that thing and it becomes very tiresome for anybody else that is around them. <laughs> and EJ, you're not that you're not that bad. But you are easy to get your goat. It's I like uh I like teasing you about it's things. drama. You're not getting my goat. It's drama. Your goat is so gotten. It's it's funny. It's it's I, I own your goat rent free. <laughs> uh Consul Crusade podcast. My goat is got. My yum is yucked. Now you get my goat, I yuck your yum. That's true. You do yuck the hell out of my yum. <laughs> Unless it's risk of rain too, in which case you yum my yum. Council Crusade Podcast. <laughs> Chris is like, get me out of here. <laughs> I can cut around all this. Yeah, I got you all muted. You don't you listen to the podcast, so you don't know the work I do, Chris. You don't understand. I'm <laughs> still, still talking. I'm oh, still talking. I'm, oh listen, you don't I didn't understand hear a damn word of that. What I, I do? To to Sorry. I'm just going to keep talking. This you'll podcast. Edit more things out. Okay. It's my podcast. I'll talk about things I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm EJ Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you're being an asshole. I'm leaving all of this in the podcast. <laughs> EJ is unhinged. <laughs>